Hello and welcome. I'm your host, Claire Marquick, and this is Real Life Business. Hello and welcome to episode number 21 of the Real Life Business podcast, the show that helps you balance running your business with everything else that goes on in our lives to create the lifestyle that we want to be living rather than have our business take over our lives. Now, as a business coach, I love learning new things to develop both myself and my business and the offerings that I have for my clients. And this week, I am chatting with someone who is helping me do just that. Melissa Guller is a course creator, podcast producer, and the CEO of Wit and Wire, where she helps small business owners build their authority and reach wider audiences through podcasting. Melissa is based in Brooklyn, New York, and I was so excited to have this real-life conversation with her about what goes on behind the scenes of running her business. There is so much gold to absorb in this conversation, so sit back, relax, and enjoy. Thank you so much, Melissa, for joining me today. We heard in that introduction that you have many strings to your bow, including helping me take this podcast to the next level, which I'm really excited about. So why don't we start off right now with you sharing a little bit about uh, your journey from where you came from to what you're doing right now. Yeah, I'd love to. And thank you so much for having me. I always love geeking out on business and what it looks like because the online business world is so invisible. I feel like you don't really know what it looks like behind the scenes. So absolutely. when I got started, it wasn't necessarily that I had the thought I want to start a business. And then I created a business. Instead, I was teaching in-person classes at general assembly in New York. And after some of my in-person classes, people would come up to me and ask, Oh, do you offer tutoring or do you do business consulting? And each time it kept happening, I just said, yes, let me get back to you with my rates. <laughs> then I would go home and I would furiously Google what the appropriate rate should be. And then I would send them a proposal. And that's how I first started booking clients. And I like to share the story just because I think it's easy to see people who are at like phase five of business, huge website, lots of offerings, complicated packages and all of these things. And there's definitely a place for businesses that look like that. But I think as soon as somebody gives you money, you're in business. And it doesn't have to be so formal. So that's mm. how I got started. Teaching really is the backbone of everything that I've done. So I went from teaching in-person classes to while I still had full-time jobs, I was working behind the scenes for Teachable, a course creation platform, and Ramitsati, a big course creator. And then I always knew I wanted to start my own business. And a little over two years ago, I started Wit & Wire to help more women launch podcasts, specifically women who are business owners. Mm. And it's been a really great journey ever since I always knew I wanted to sell online courses specifically. So yeah. even though I took on one-on-one -on -one clients at first to get paid, to learn how to teach podcasting. Well, I think that that was always the goal is to be where I am now, where I have programs and courses for podcasters. Yeah. I think there's so much, so much value in just that bit that you've said there. There's a couple of things that I wanted to pick up on. I love the, I love the, you know, the say yes and then work out the how. That's the thing that's come up a lot in these conversations. And it's something I've done myself. You know, people will say, oh, would you, you know, would you be interested in doing this or can you do this? And I'm like, yeah, sure. Oh, I can do that. And then I get home. I'm like, shit. <laughs> 
<laughs> how do I do that? How much do I charge for that? What does that look like? And then exactly you're there on Google. What are the going rates for? <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's, that's where it's also really good. And I know this is something we've spoken about before. And again, it's come up a lot. That's where it's really good to have a good network of people around you, isn't it? To be able to bounce things and say, hey, has anyone else had experience of this? You know, can you help me with this? What do you think about that? I know sort of collaboration is a really big thing for you as well, isn't it? It is. I think that businesses do better when they work together. And even as a business owner now, I think that my business is successful because I have successful students and the mm. more I can elevate what they do and help them connect to each other. I feel like I just know that that will help my business grow instead of just always promoting what I've done and what I could do for you. Yeah. I find that like, I don't know if you find it too, sort of in that sort of coaching teaching space, like you attract you attract clients that ultimately can help us as business owners grow as well. It's it's like, it's funny. It's like the, the things that I work with my clients on as I'm, as we're in a session or as we're going through something, I'm like, huh. And you have the little realization for yourself as well. And there's so much we can learn from each other, isn't there? I agree. And I think what's fascinating about the work that I do is that I'm really fortunate. I get to learn a lot from other people about what they care about because mm -hmm. all of my podcasting students they're mostly women, mostly business owners or aspiring business owners. And the diversity of their knowledge and their backgrounds is vast. So I'm always learning something new about animal communications or marketing or motherhood or all these topics. But I feel like it's good to see through the eyes of others. It gives you more empathy. So I always enjoy learning about topics. I think I would never really have any other reason to learn much about, but really in the world of online marketing, especially, I feel like it's very easy to get caught up in how do I fix my Instagram grid and how do I learn all of these new flashy platforms? But a lot of my success in business has come through partnerships, but not even just pitching a partner, or having a partnership, just like organically meeting people through being a business owner. And then in time, finding ways that it works for us to support each other. Yeah. Yeah. I hundred percent agree. I was talking to someone um, I think it was actually in, in your Wit and Wire community, actually talking to someone just the other day about the fact that, you know, I've, I've said that this quarter, my focus is on learning more about marketing. Cause I think I've said to you, like, I don't do, I don't do a great deal. I don't do any paid marketing or anything like that. Um, everything I've done to date is organic. And whilst I think it's important that I educate myself a little bit around um, paid marketing, and I know a lot of my clients are sort of the same. It's like, I don't do anything with um, ads, Google ads or Facebook ads. Um, there is so much benefit in just the old fashioned, like connection, isn't there? And, and just like you say, organically getting to know people, building relationships and things just, things can just come from that. They, there's, I think there's so much pressure, isn't there? Because of how accessible social media is, we kind of feel like we need to be all over it and absolutely like bossing the reels and TikTok and, you know, like all over everywhere, but there are other ways that we can get ourselves out there, aren't there? I couldn't agree more. And I have a digital marketing background. I ran Teachable's marketing team for a number of years and I've been in marketing roles. But when I look at the digital landscape of what it means to, you know, quote, market on the internet, it's such a quantity game. Like your success is measured in followers and likes and all of these, in my opinion, vanity metrics in a lot of cases, yeah. because back when we were doing business in person, if you could get 20 people to show up in a room and listen to you every week, people would think you were at the top of your game, but in a yeah. podcast, only 20 downloads a week feels tiny. 
because mm-hmm. the internet makes it feel like we need huge numbers everywhere. And like you said, there's just so many social platforms and so many inboxes. I personally feel very overwhelmed by all of it at times. So I think sometimes it helps to think of marketing more as just talking to other humans instead of figuring out how do you get in front of huge, huge audiences. Obviously there's a place for that. I'm not here to say, no, no, you don't need growth. Like you don't want numbers. I'm I'm definitely a marketer. Like I understand the numbers game as well, but I just think that maybe what I'm looking to say is that there's an inflation of numbers online where it feels like you need to have way more people in your audience than you might actually need in order to be a successful business owner. Absolutely. And that was, I think that was, you made a statement in, in one of the, um, one of your masterclasses that I went on before sort of enrolled in your program. Um, you made a statement that just hooked me. You, you said it was along those lines. It was like, there, there's this misconception that you need to have millions of followers, but, but think about it in terms of physically, if you have 20, 30, 40 people in a room and you're sharing your message with them, you would be super stoked with that. So why can't you be super stoked with that as an online audience? And I, you know, that was just something that just got me right there. I was like, yes. (laughs) And like you say, that doesn't mean, okay, well, you know, as soon as I hit 30 downloads or as soon as I've hit 30 followers on my Instagram, like I'm happy, obviously if things go viral, then um, awesome. But yeah, I think there's so much pressure that we can put on ourselves, isn't there now? especially because, you know, these metrics are so easily visible. Exactly. And they're visible for others, which Mm. makes it even harder because then no matter how well you're doing, someone else is always going to be bigger, badder in there first. So Mm. it's hard to not compare yourself. So I do think one of the things that has helped me be successful in business is not looking at my competitors too often. I think there's a time and place for a little bit of research, particularly, I think seeing what topics Maybe your competitors are sharing because a topic is not a copyright. Everyone I know in the podcasting space is talking about microphones. We're all talking about naming a podcast. We should all be talking about those things. Those are things people have questions about, but Mm -hmm. we all have our own take. So I do a little bit of that, but day to day, like I don't follow them on Instagram. I don't look to see what they're doing because I feel like it only breeds insecurity about how my thing compares to theirs, which I didn't find productive or helpful. So I stopped doing it. I think that's, that's such great advice. And I, and I hundred percent agree. Like I was, I have to say, I fell into a bit of a trap and I kind of pulled myself away from social media altogether for a while, because I found that I was just spending so much time looking at what other coaches were doing. What sort of things are they posting? What's their take? What do they say about that concept? And how do they approach that? And how do they teach that? And and I was trying to be so many different people by taking a bit of that person and a bit of that person and a bit of that person. And I'm like, I don't I don't think I'm actually saying anything that I truly believe. <laughs> it's such an easy trap to fall into, isn't it? It is. And it's hard because I love to learn. I really value enrolling in other people's courses or reading people's blog posts or soaking up knowledge. And I actually look outside of my industry a lot. Like, of course I look to see what podcasters are doing, but I look at YouTubers. I look at bloggers. I look at people who teach in-person classes. I went to a bouldering class the other night, like in-person climbing up a wall. And I I felt like I learned. (laughs) Yeah. Bold. It's like rock climbing without a harness, which I had never done before. And just being a beginner was really healthy. Like that's something that I feel anybody in business should do because I had this thought that you get so used to teaching the thing that you teach or coaching on the thing that you coach that even though you might know the questions that beginners are asking, if you haven't been a beginner in a while, it's harder to like feel that struggle of what it feels like for it to be hard because it's new. 
So this guy literally quoted me at me. He said, the thing I say to students, which is, you know, he didn't say the word podcasting, but I usually say podcasting will feel hard at first. It's not because podcasting is hard or that some people have a natural gift. It's that it's new and that it's hard to do new things. Mm. And he literally said that. And I just felt seen also a little attacked. I was like, oh my God, he's saying it, <laughs> but, but I just think that, yeah, it's, it's important to be new at things. It's important to put yourself in those shoes. It's important to look and see what people outside your industry are doing. But if you only look at just all the people around you, who are your direct competitors or doing exactly what you do, it's just a no win situation. I don't know if you felt that way, but it just doesn't seem realistic to compare yourself to others. It's always, like I said before, that somebody is just further ahead. That's natural. They've been at it longer but it does not feel good. And never forget that what you're seeing on Instagram, it's not somebody's reality. It's marketing their reality. They are putting a spin on their truth. Even if they're being very transparent and they're sharing numbers, there is still the very real underlying tone of I'm telling you this, and it's related to my business and my success. And I don't mean that in a nefarious mean way, but we choose what goes on the internet. So it's, it's just not a healthy place. I think the internet. Stuff. It, it's one of those, it's one of those, like, it's like, ah, like, I mean, especially, you know, for yourself and, and for me as well, you we a lot in the online space, you, we kind of, we need it, <laughs> but at mm-hmm. the same time, um, yeah, it can totally be the, the bane of our existence too, can't it? So there's that balance, I think. Yeah. Agree. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious because I think that there's, there's a lot of people in my audience that might be, um, that sort of have side hustles that they're hoping to make, um, make into full-time businesses. You, your experience comes from working full-time in that teaching space, in that online learning space. How did you find that transition? You know, what did you have to learn? What did you have to change about how you operated when you sort of shifted from employee to entrepreneur? Yeah, I've only been full-time with Wit & Wire for about three months and I was doing it as a side hustle for two years. Although I kind of joked that one year was a side hustle and one was a full hustle because <laughs> I was really doing a full-time job and a very full-time business. And it was during the year of the pandemic. And so in a, in a lot of ways, I had nothing but time in a way that I had not before. So I just decided this was going to be the year of maybe not as much work-life balance as I want long-term. Cause I, I don't identify as a workaholic. I like to have life outside of work. That's really important to me. But for that year, I felt, you know, that rerun of survivor could wait. Like we could watch <laughs> We could watch that later. We could do a little bit of business or we could put on survivor in the background. But (laughs) I do think that what's nice about doing any business venture, whether it's the idea that you have for a full-time business, or you are trying to bring in side income, what's nice about also having a full-time job is the security of income, which Mm. means you can be choosier about the work that you do. If I had just gone all in with Wit & Wire immediately, I think I would have been forced to probably do a lot more podcast editing, which I like to do, but you're trading your time for money. And yep. so your income is capped at the number of hours you want to work. I can't charge $2,000 an hour to be a podcast editor. Damn it. Crazy stuff. <laughs> if only, but you know, whatever your hourly rate is, even if you triple it to your wildest dreams, you'll have to ask yourself, is that hourly rate? times the actual number of billable hours I would work a week, not hours of admin on my business, not a number of hours in my life, but like, does that number equal a salary that I'm happy with? And Mm. I knew that the answer was going to be no. And that was because I had worked, you know, in teachables world and in the online course world for a long time. That was always my goal, but the security of the full-time job let me do things like 
just take on a client or two to get paid to learn a little bit. It let me build up a website and start putting out blog posts and start using Pinterest to build up organic traffic to my site and build up an audience before I launched the first version of my course. And throughout all of that time, I was not earning enough money to fully support myself through Wit & Wire. But because I took a longer time to set up the foundation for my business and I had that safety net of a full-time job, I was able to build the kind of business that I really wanted instead of the kind of business that would pay me the fastest. And I didn't take that decision lightly. And I probably overstayed my welcome at Teachable longer than I should have because I really loved working there. So in the end, I did leave and now I do run Wit & Wire full-time. And to answer your question about how is it different, I think it's interesting having the perspective of being a team leader, which is what I was before. I was a director mm. where you're thinking big projects, long-term and for some reason now, as a business owner, party of one with support, it feels like things need to get done faster. It almost feels like this pressure of, oh, it's just me like this month, I should be able to, you know, start up this new project or do this thing. Or I feel this kind of rush to get things out when I get the idea that I want to do it, even though I know they can't happen overnight, but there's, there's more of a pressure. So I think what has helped is looking at each month and then just deciding I can only do a certain number of big projects per month. Yeah. And then when I plan out bigger picture, I'm not even honestly planning it down to the week, but just at like a monthly level, what am I focusing on August? What am I focusing on in September? And once you start to kind of put things into the buckets, you realize how much you can or cannot accomplish. But mm. at least for me, it also feels like I give myself permission to say, oh, wow, I, I don't have time for that in August. I have to negotiate with myself a little to say, well, Melissa, you wanted to do this in August. So now you got to push back this other project until September. But then I feel a lot more at peace about not working on the September thing. So I think mm -hmm. it is a form of giving myself permission to say, you know, you can't do this all at once. Of course not. You're a human being. you got a life outside of work. Um, but it just feels better to have made the decision to not start versus feeling like, if you didn't make the decision, it would all just kind of, I don't know, weigh you down a little. I think that's, you've hit on something there that, that I'm certainly noticing a lot with my clients and um, I've, so I have, I have a big whiteboard in my office and, you know, when I come up with ideas, I'm like, oh, I want to do this, or I want to, you know, rebrand my website, or I need to do this, or I'd like to do this. Everything goes on the whiteboard. And so then it's out of my head. Because I feel like when we've got projects and ideas buzzing around in our heads, and many of us, like we, we're entrepreneurs for a reason, like we generate ideas, we've, we have all this stuff that we think we could do. And I, I've certainly found personally, I don't know if you're the same, when you have it just cycling around and around and around in your head, like you say, like you can really start to feel that weight on your shoulders, can't you? And then I found again, personally, the more of that that happens, the harder it then gets to actually implement any of it because you're sort of starting to think about that thing and then you're doing a bit of that thing and then you're doing a bit of that thing over there and you can just get in this mess of being busy and not actually getting anything done, can't you? So, yeah. I couldn't agree more. And I love the idea of your physical whiteboard of getting ideas out of your head. If there's even like one small tip I think I could give anybody right now, it's to decide where you keep ideas mm. and to start using it. Whether it's a whiteboard, it can be a notepad, it can be a task management tool. I use Notion currently. I was using Evernote for a long time. But if you imagine ideas as you physically carrying like a stack of books, 
you can only carry so many before you either topple over or you have to trade some out. And I think our ability to store ideas is the same. So if you just decide on one place where all of your ideas live, big or small, it could be like a passing thought that maybe becomes part of a podcast episode or a blog post, or maybe it's an idea about a marketing strategy or a product you want to try, or just something that you don't really know if it'll be anything at all. It could be a quote that you like. If you just decide where do my ideas go and you start, I call mine, my idea bank, then yeah. it relieves the pressure of having to remember everything. You know where it is. You can find it later. And that way, if you're ever feeling stuck or this like blank sheet of paper, just absolute paralysis, you have somewhere to go. You have somewhere to look. Yeah. I think that that is, that is top advice. And I love also the, the, then scheduling it out as well. Mm -hmm. And, and like you say, like, it doesn't have to be an anal plan, does it? Doesn't, we don't have to sit down at the beginning of the year and map out this fully comprehensive business plan of exactly what we're going to achieve in the year. Like it, it, business planning and goals and things doesn't need to be like that, does it? it? It's just like, okay, let's have an idea of where I want to head. Not sure exactly how I'm going to get there yet, but this is going to be my focus this month. And this is going to be my focus this month. And, you know, I think like how you do it, plan a quarter at a time. But if things have to change in that time, that's okay as well, isn't it? Because stuff comes up all the time. Exactly. I think we have to adapt as business owners. So instead of seeing a plan as a definite, just see it as a guide. I think that's at least a healthier mentality to go into it with. Plus I used to work in live corporate events and we would produce these big like tech and pharma summits. And I was just working behind the scenes, but when you work in events, you go into it with the mindset that something is going to break. But I think (laughs) a lot of online business owners go into it thinking if my plan is perfect and if I have a backup plan, B, C, D, and E, then it will all go smoothly. Mm. But instead I think a helpful way to approach it is just to say, I assume this is going to break. Like something is going to go wrong. We just can't know what can happen. And if you go into it with that mindset, then if something does break, you were mentally prepared for it. It doesn't catch you off guard. So that's definitely a tip that I would offer to anybody. Just expect it'll go wrong because then when it does, you're ready for it. 100% without then ruminating on the fact of, you know, without having that unhealthy mindset of just expecting everything to go wrong all of the time, because then we'll probably never do anything because we'll just paralyze ourselves with fear. (laughs) Again, balance. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) I love it. You said something then that was going to trigger another question in me and now it's completely gone out of my mind, but (laughs) you're obviously really passionate about what you do. Um, You love what you do, helping business owners, um, accelerate what they do, you know, is sort of your, is your mission, what you say you're sort of there for. It's not always great times though, is it? When we work for ourselves, like you say, things do go wrong. We don't have the people to kind of kick us up the bum and make sure we're adhering to our deadlines. So what is it that you have? What is your sort of internal driver? What keeps you going when, when things aren't running quite so smoothly? I think we all need a little bit of that motivator. Like you're saying, I mean, we've been kind of circling this theme. Things are going to go wrong, not in a bad way. It's just that online business is a series of ups and downs. And before I answer the question, I also remember earlier, you said that you try all these strategies from other people and it just starts to feel like you're not really saying anything at all. I have also felt like you see these strategies, some work really well for some people, and then they will work for you. And some strategies that are great just aren't going to suit your business. They're just Mm -hmm. not going to work. And so I think in those moments, what I always remind myself is that like my worth is not tied to how well my business is doing. Mm, I'm a human beyond the business and my business is something that I'm working on. It is something that I really 
enjoy doing, but just learning to dissociate my value from my business's success, I think has been really helpful. So in those moments where it feels like, man, like this didn't go how I wanted, I didn't get the number of students I thought, or this plan bombed, or this podcast interview didn't go very well. Like any of those moments, you can just step, step back a little and remind yourself that it's just a project or it's just a moment or it's a strategy that you tried and the strategy did not work, but it's not that you were not working hard. And in those moments, I can still be kind to myself and say like, I know I'm doing my best. And if it all went to plan, I wouldn't appreciate when I have my successes, but that's, that's been really huge for me is just not tying my worth as a human to my success as a business owner. I think that's absolute gold. I love that. (laughs) We should all just pause for a moment and just absorb that because, because I I think, you know, I I know a lot of, um, a lot of my audience are solopreneurs or, um, you know, micro business owners. So they might have sort of one, two, three team members. And so we can tie so much, we can put so much pressure on our shoulders again, can't we? As, as we can carry that weight of if my business isn't successful, then I'm doing something wrong. I'm me as a person is not good enough. Or you can see where those insecurities come from, can't you? So I love And that. you know what's especially hard is if your business is named after yourself. Like uh-huh. if I briefly did run my business under melissagullar.com. This was ages ago when I was just doing consulting and tutoring and a little bit of teaching. And because it's possibly for you right now, like for listeners, it could be the domain name that you're operating under. It could be that your social handle is your name, but Mm. even so probably even more important, that business is still not your value. And it could just be that you haven't found the exact right combo, like your personal magic mix of the right marketing strategy, the right thing that you can sell, the right way of connecting with listeners. It could just be that what you've tried so far hasn't suited you. It's like fashion. Not everything looks good on everyone. So I think in this case, if that's you, if your business is named after yourself, the same is true. Like you are not your business. You are a whole complicated human with a lot of beautiful things going on in and outside of your work. And you're just doing your best to figure out your business. And it's okay to need to try on a few things before you find the thing that fits. I think that's fabulous advice. I absolutely love that. Total gold. How do you keep yourself accountable? Like what are, what are some of the things that you absolutely positively must have in your day to keep you operating at your best? I think in a very literal way, Asana is the tool that I often joke tells me what to do, not the other way around. (laughs) So I know I said earlier that I plan, you know, my big picture thoughts on my business in quarters and months, but then I also add everything to Asana. So if I'm at the start of a project, let's say my course is reopening or I'm doing a promotion around my signature program, I will sit down and I did have a background in project management. So I'll map it out. I'll put all the tasks in Asana. And even for other little things like weekly tasks, I'll have them recur. And I think more than anything, what's helpful about that approach is just when I start my day, I can kind of look and see what do I need to get done today? What is the most important thing I need to get done today? And I'll try to start with those in the morning and do the bigger, more creative work first, because I know that's when I'm the most on. And I would say the other thing that helps me make sure I actually get any work done is not keeping my email inbox open because that is the place where all the procrastinate working happens because (laughs) inbox makes you feel like you're working, but really you're just avoiding doing probably the harder, bigger work for your business. And so I check my email in the morning and then I try to check back again later in the day. 
But those are the two things. I mean, Asana alone will not tell you what to do. It really is just a tool. And I bring it up just because I don't want listeners to think, oh, I got to go try Asana because Melissa likes Asana. Like (laughs) there's so many tools or so many note-taking. It doesn't have to be digital. It can be paper. So I think whatever system works for you is right. And even the way I use Asana does not work for everybody because other Asana pros, their stuff looks very different from mine. Theirs (laughs) looks like absolute otherworldly, other planet organization. It makes no sense to me. So you just have to find what works for you and try a couple of things. But I, I like to see at the beginning of the day, like, what do I think I'm doing today? And then at the start of the week on Mondays, I'll do a view of the whole week to kind of reallocate tasks and see, I want to make sure I'm not overwhelmed on any particular day. And I want to make sure kind of big picture, like what's the success of the week. If Friday rolled around and it was the end of the day, what are the things I would have needed to actually accomplish in order to feel like this week moved me forward? I think that that's something I absolutely 100% agree with. And because I am one who I will categorically put my hand up and my, my um, asana is very simple. It's a little, no one can see this, only you, but it's a little, little scrappy little paper notebook that's got to do on the front. And every day has a page. And I, you know, I just, I map out the week. Like, what am I doing? I've tried so many different online tools and just keep coming back to the notebook. And, and, and I, and I can put too many things on a page, but again, it's, it's my, I think it's, I, I, I put it down to my extroverted tendencies. You know, I have to get things out like uh, to process them. I have to get them out. And so I write it all down on a page, but I don't necessarily expect to all get that done. Um, it's exactly like you said, it's like, when we get to Friday, what are the mission critical things? What will make me feel like this has been a successful week? And it doesn't all have to be business, does it? Because, you know, that's the other thing um, that i personally find is really important. Like if I've only done business stuff and I've let the washing slide, or I'm not going to say housework because I hate housework. I'm quite happy to let housework slide, (laughs) but you know, washing or spending time with the kids or exercising. If I've let all that slide to tick all my business things off the to-do list, I'll still feel unsatisfied by Friday. So I think it's a, I don't know if you're the same, like it's a whole of life kind of approach, isn't it? It's like, what will make me feel satisfied and accomplished come Friday? And that's what I focus on. Yeah. I think it's really important this conversation around life outside of the business, because I didn't start my own business to work myself to the ground. Mm. I started my own business so that I could go out to be with my family for a few weeks and be location independent. I started a business so that I could help others in a way that felt meaningful to me and have, you know, creative freedom to work in a way that felt like I had purpose, like I was helping others. And I started a business to have a life outside of that business. And I felt like being my own boss, my own business owner was the way to go in a way that a traditional working for somebody else kind of job just would never allow. And so now that I am doing this full time, I have to really be intentional because it's so easy to keep working. I think it's harder to make sure that you are continuing to have the life outside of your work. And obviously we're in kind of an unusual time right now in a pandemic era. So I think that there's a lot kind of competing for all of our attention and what we can do or not do with our time. But I think nobody wants to be at their desk every day. Like that's not the point of being a coach, being a business owner, but it gets hard unless you are intentional 
And like you said, what are the things that you want to do during the day to me, like going to yoga mid morning is amazing. Like I can do that now because I'm the boss and I say, it's fine. So <laughs> that's on my calendar or Don't like I fill decide- in a leaf form or make exactly. up time later. <laughs> <laughs> or I recently decided that I didn't want to take meetings on Mondays or Fridays. And now I just don't. Yeah. It's amazing. I'm so productive on Fridays. I get to really get like deep into work that is a lot more cerebral and thinking and big picture. And so these are the things like the little creative freedoms that you can have when you are your own boss. And I think we were talking about like accountability. How do I kind of continue showing up? I think that the healthier my mindset is about work, the more that I enjoy it, the more that I intentionally decide who can take up my time where that Mm. helps me stay focused. Because if you start to resent the business or feel like the business is running you, I feel like that is a challenge too, because I know a lot of business owners in Instagram are talking about their five figure months and all the success, but behind the scenes, a lot of those same business owners are like a slave to their computer. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's a very fine line and every person will feel different. We all have different goals, different amount of hours to work per week, different, frankly, like income targets, but yeah, you just have to be very intentional. I think about how you spend your time. 100%. And it links full circle to sort of where we started off or where we were a little bit earlier in as much as not comparing to other people, doesn't it? It's like, what is, what is success to us as individuals? And that's where we, what we focus on, not what anyone else is doing or whatever level they're at. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love it. Such a cool conversation. I'm going to hit you up with some quick fire questions in a moment, but if this conversation has sparked curiosity in anybody listening and they want to find out more about your programs, more about what you do, maybe you've inspired some people to think about a podcast for their business. How can people connect with you? I am online everywhere at Wit and Wire. Instagram is the main place that I hang out. And if anybody is interested in learning how to launch a podcast, they're curious about my process or some of the mistakes that I feel like a lot of new hosts are making presently, I do have a free masterclass called how to launch a podcast in 60 days. And you can find it for free at witandwire.com slash real life business. Yay. Thank you so much. We will put, oh, we, I always say that. I say we, as in, I've got a huge team around me. I will put the link to that in the show notes to this episode as well. So um, all you got to do is click through to the show notes and there'll be a link right there to that class. Thank you so much. But now are you ready for some quick fire questions? I'm ready. Okay. <laughs> Tell us about a book that you're either reading right now or you feel everybody needs to read. This is a tough one because I am a book nerd. I oh. love to read. So I have a hard time only recommending one. But I feel like in this moment, and actually our conversation leads me to this book as well. There's a book called Finish by John Acuff. And the premise of the book says a lot of people can start projects, but a lot of us have a hard time finishing or making it to the end, even if it's a project that we care a lot about. And he just has this really like dry sense of humor, but in a very friendly way, like not in a way that puts anybody down. It's very approachable. And some of the advice in the book really stood out to me. And there's one concept called bombing. So basically he says when he's writing a book, there's 12 weeks where during that time he will have clean laundry, but it will live unfolded on this specific chair in his bedroom. (laughs) He just doesn't have time to fold clothes while he's reading, while he's writing his next book. And so he gives himself permission to bomb folding laundry. He just says, I'm not going to be able to do this for three months and that's okay. And what I love about this mindset is just the idea that like for me during the pandemic, my workout routine, my yoga basically went out the window for a few months, but that was okay with me because I had decided I was going to bomb it. 
I was home with family. I was doing a full-time job and a full hustle. I had too much going on. And it wasn't that I would never get back to yoga. It was that in that moment, I knew I didn't have the time and I gave myself permission to not feel guilty about it. And so that was huge for me. And I would highly, highly recommend his book. Again, it's called Finish by Johnny Cuff. I love that. I literally see I'm an audible. I like, I listen, maybe that's why I like podcasts, but that's, um, I got an email saying my latest audible credit is through. I'm going to go look that one right up. (laughs) And he's a speaker. So it's probably him reading it and it's probably excellent. Oh, I love it. I love it. That sounds great. What about a song about your favorite song of all time and why? So what's funny is I've never been asked this question in my life. And then a week ago, Someone else asked me this exact question, a friend of mine at go. just a dinner event. And so now I am shockingly prepared for this. <laughs> You're primed and ready to go. <laughs> yes. So I think when it comes to music, what we talked about amongst our small group of girlfriends is that choosing a favorite song kind of comes down to choosing a memory as well, because mm-hmm. songs are so tied, I think, to memories and nostalgia. So my all-time favorite song, if I had to choose one, would be Piano Man by Billy Joel, because I grew up listening to Billy Joel. My dad loves him. I would hear him play it in the car as we were driving around to school and I grew up playing the piano. And so I learned how to play it. And then years later, I saw Billy Joel live in New York at Madison square garden with my dad and my grandparents. And it was very special. So I just feel like that song has a lot of good memory for me. I love how songs can just take us straight back to, to a time. It's amazing, isn't it? It's so powerful. That's why I like asking that question because more often than not, there's a story that comes out with it. I just, I think it's awesome. <laughs> there has to be. How could there not be a story to your favorite song? Totally, totally. What about a quote that's changed your life? This is a hard one. I think this is probably a quote. I'm going to guess maybe someone else has said this. So I'm probably going to butcher her quote a bit, but she says, people will forget what you did and people will forget just like the actions of your day-to-day life, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. Yeah. Yeah. I'm absolutely positive. I ruined the middle part of the quote, (laughs) but I think that that's really powerful because we get so hung up, I think in lots of the little things, but no matter what you are, you know, literally typing on a page or saying to a friend business, personal life, I just think that that's important. Like the way that you make somebody feel matters a lot. Yes. I think that is absolute gold and really great advice as well for running a business in as much as, you know, that work, like you said, worrying about what all those things we've got to do. It's like, well, how is that making our audience feel? How is that making our customers, clients, colleagues, employees, whatever feel that's really important, isn't it? Exactly. Oh, I think the middle part was people will forget what you did. They'll forget what you said, but they'll never forget how you made them feel. feel. Oh, it's a warm and fuzzy. <laughs> it's a good now you've shared quite a few techie tips through this conversation, but if you, if you could sort of culminate them all together, what's one sort of um, piece of tech or app or a bit of software that's changed how you run your business? This is going to sound very cheesy and as though they paid me to say this because I worked for them for four years. But sincerely, when I reflect on my life as it is right now, I couldn't be full-time in a business like mine if Teachable did not exist. Teachable is the course software that I use to power Witten Wires programs. It's the business I worked for for four years. And just the fact that I can create an online course, earn money selling it. I have students all across the world. I mean, we're halfway across the world mm-hmm. from each other. Yep. Just the fact that I'm able to do that and to help all these women who run their own businesses, sometimes it blows my mind. Like sometimes I think about 
how far apart we are physically sitting right now and having this conversation. And just the fact that I can create a course that both supports my life and supports other people truly astounds me. It humbles me. So I, I have to say teachable. It is quite full on when you really stop and think about it. You know, I'm sitting here in New South Wales, Australia. You're where exactly are you? <laughs> I'm in Brooklyn, New York. Yeah, there you go. Like I have no idea how many thousands of kilometers apart that is, but it's a really long way. It's, it's like the maximum number. We could be <laughs> far apart from each other. <laughs> are we even in the same day? What day is it for you? No, I think we're in different days. I think I'm in Thursday and you're in Friday. Oh, yeah, I'm Friday morning. There you go. <laughs> It just really is. I think sometimes the internet almost makes it easy to forget how connected we are to people who are physically nowhere near us, but mentally right there Mm. and who have the same goals and really share the same things. And even when I started Wit and Wire, I didn't know anybody else who had a podcast. This was years ago. Mm -hmm. And so this was before even the business. This was just when I started my first podcast. And now just to see the connections, like you referenced earlier within our student community, you're just getting to connect people to each other. Sometimes I'll be in a student group coaching call and I'll look around my virtual room and see people in the US and in London and in Australia and in Switzerland. I mean, it really is humbling. All these people Mm -hmm. showed up because I believed I could help them and they believed that I was the right person for them. It's Mm -hmm. wild. And it just, the other thing that just like, it blows my mind as well is, is it's how it has opened up how we do business. You know, we, it's not like we just, we can only serve the people in, in our immediate vicinity anymore. Like literally the world is our oyster now, isn't it? Like we don't have to travel well, for us. Certainly we still can't, but <laughs> I don't know how it is for you right now, but you know, you, you don't have to travel to serve people. There's all this amazing technology and platforms and things out there that bring us all much closer together. It's incredible. I mean, this is why when I was still working at Teachable, I pitched the CEO on having a podcast. And I did end up going on to host and produce the show. Everything is teachable. And the whole point of that business venture was to show people what was possible, that you could be a mom who taught watercolor painting full-time. You could teach people how to raise goats. You could teach people how to fly drones. All of these people who were very diverse in their background, their upbringing, their skill set, they were all creating businesses online with something that you couldn't see. Mm. And I just think that now with the pandemic, it's becoming more understood that you can run a business over the power of the internet. But I've been in this industry for a while and that was not always the case. And it really, I think is exceptional, just the reach that we can have, the impact that we can have. Mm. It's I, yeah, it, like, I don't know. It really, when you think about it, it's huge. It's full on. It is. It is. It's probably a whole other conversation. <laughs> yeah, it is. It. I'm going to like continue thinking about it after this call. I think about it all the time. I'm a very like in my head kind of person. I've always been like a little on the introverted side, a little more just like introspective. And sometimes just things like this, they really hit you in in a good way, but in a big way too. Yeah, totally. Totally hear you. (laughs) Leave us with, and um, this is totally uh, not quick fire at all, but it's all good. I love it. (laughs) Leave us like a medium fire. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like a slow burn. Leave us with a life hack. You've left us with so much gold. Um, There are so many things. I'm like, oh my God, I love that. Oh my God, I love that. Leave us with one final life hack. Oh, it's so funny. I feel like this whole time I've like kind of known at least ideas of what to say or there are things I love talking about. One life hack. That's such a big question. I feel like I did prepare something to say and now I have completely forgotten. But I will go with one thing that I do that I think helps me stay sane, which is that 
one day every weekend, I try to have a no phone day. So I keep my phone plugged in on do not disturb. Sometimes I'll keep it plugged in, but I'll keep it on ring. Um, but I just try not to use it. I think, especially Mm. in the work that I do, which is a fully online business, all I do all day long is stare at screens. And I started doing this well before, like I've been doing this for years, but even overnight, like I charge my phone in the kitchen. I really have tried to stay not so attached to my devices, but I think it's a little bit healthy to have some separation from the phone, from Mm. the phantom feeling of you're sitting on a couch, the phone's not even next to you. And you can swear you heard it vibrate. (laughs) Like that's, that's the thing. I think a lot of people feel I'll notice they're reaching for a phone that's not even there, but I just think it helps me stay a little bit more present. Yeah. I, I think I, I, that is something I need to do. I think I, I mentioned earlier that I had gone of this detox from social media and I, I deleted everything off my phone and I loved it, but I, slowly things have started to creep back on and that phone is always right there. And I think it's a really healthy thing to do to just switch it off. I like it. Start small one day a week. I can yeah. Or I leave my phone on do not disturb probably more than I should, but definitely when I'm working, I leave it on, do not disturb. And I think even if that's too much, if there's something that's deeper focused work that you want to do, where you want to have any kind of creative thinking, I definitely would recommend do not disturb because Mm. as soon as it buzzes, you can't ignore it. Even if you think you're like so strong, like you really can't ignore the pull of the buzz. So just try whether it's a day or just a couple hours, put it on, do not disturb and see see how that helps you. I love it. <laughs> Inside I'm going, oh my God, I don't know if I can do it. <laughs> that is very There's, bad. There are some terrifying studies actually from, I think it's Gen Z because they grew up with cell phones basically like in their hand from the moment they were born for some of them, for the younger ones. Mm-hmm. But there's a lot of anxiety in younger, I think it's kids eight through 12. This is from a book called Irresistible, Irresistible by Adam Atler. I've Alter. got that on my audible list. I haven't listened to yeah. it yet, but it's there. That's the book that started making me charge my phone in my kitchen. But he mm-hmm. talks about this anxiety in kids because they legitimately feel in a physical way in their body anxious when they're not able to be on a phone because mm. it's all they've ever known. So that's really what helped me start to think, Ooh, you know, like, let me, let me show my phone who's boss. Let me <laughs> put it in time out for a day or let me separate myself from it and not be so dependent on my phone. Now, has it made me a terrible texter? Yes, it has, but that's okay because my loved ones will continue loving me anyway. (laughs) You can deal with that. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Melissa, thank you so much. It has been a really, really fun conversation. I've gotten so much out of it and I trust everybody listening has as well. A reminder that all your links will be in the show notes to this episode, along with um, the registration for the masterclass. If anyone is curious about finding out more about what you do, that'll all be there as well. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you again for having me, Claire. And that's a wrap for episode number 21. And I'm sure you will agree it was packed full of awesome tips, tricks, and mindset hacks. What did you take away from this conversation? I loved Melissa's story about bouldering and experiencing being a beginner again at something. You know, as we grow and evolve and learn more, it's really easy to forget what it's like to be new at something, you know, unsure about something. So as a business owner in whatever capacity or whatever industry we're in, I challenge you to be new at something again. Remember that uncertainty. Remember that doubt. Remember those 
thoughts and then apply that to how you treat your clients or your customers? Is there a way that you could connect even more deeply with them and be of even greater value? And even if you're listening to this, not in business, can you apply this thinking to your colleagues, your family, your friends? We can get so caught up in our own little worlds and doing something uncomfortable could just raise our awareness or pip our emotional intelligence so that we're better able to connect with those around us. Now, did you pick up on procrastinating? working? Seriously, that is bloody brilliant. It is up there with fantabulous, in my opinion, for merged together words. Procrastinating. working. I think we all have elements of procrastinating working in our day, don't we? I know a big one for me is my email inbox. I keep Outlook open all the time. And after this and after discovering that word procrastinating, working, I am going to commit to closing my inbox through the day. And I'm just going to check it in the mornings when I first log on at lunchtimes and just before I log off in the afternoon. So have a think about your day. What procrastinating working strategies do you have blended in to your busyness of your day? And what can you cut out? Melissa shared some top tips on how she manages her distractions and sets boundaries to ensure that she's working as optimally as she can. So I think there's something that we could probably all reflect on there and make some improvements to our day. Now, my final takeaway from this conversation is around patience. The whole theme of this episode was ways to take the pressure off in business. And one of the simplest yet most effective ways of doing that is for us to be kind to ourselves and exercise patience. Melissa was running her business as a side hustle on the side of a full-time job for years. And whilst I'm convinced there were times where she wished that juggle wasn't there, she chose to view that time through different eyes. So if your business or situation isn't quite where you want it to be just yet, what can you be grateful for about where you're at right now? Melissa had the benefit of a regular income, taking the financial pressure off, which allowed her to create the business that she wanted rather than one solely to pay the bills. There is so much more to life than business. Business helps us create the lifestyle that we want. So if you're not there yet, be patient. Be patient, be grateful and make a plan of how you're going to get there. Now, if that's something that you'd welcome some help with, then consider booking in for one of my 30-minute business bouncing calls. They are completely free and they are very, very casual. If you've been listening to my podcast or been following me for some time now, you will know my style. I am very real. They are not intimidating conversations at all. And it might just be the very thing that you need to reignite that energy and refocus to get things moving in the direction that you want to be going. So you can email me at claire at reignitepc.com.au or you can click straight through to the show notes of this episode and there is a booking link right there. Alrighty then, if you haven't already, please subscribe to the show on your podcast app of choice. And if you're not already, why not follow us on Facebook and Instagram so you can catch up on everything that's going on with real life business between the episodes. Share this episode with someone in your network who you feel needs to hear it. And I will be back in your ears very soon for the next edition of Real Life Business. So I'll see you then.